Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. The only one that's making your money is you. Listen to the Bitcoin Podcast. So hold on. Listen to the Bitcoin Podcast. Hold on. Listen to the What's up, everybody? How hello. y'all doing? Hello, hello. It's, uh, it's, are you interrupt? Did you, is everything okay? Me? Are you interrupt? Yeah, oh. you were like saying hello, hello. Yeah, what's up? You said, what's up, everybody? I'm saying hello. I thought, oh, I thought you were testing the microphone. No, we're still hello, going. Hello, uh, hello. Nice. Uh, welcome to episode 280. Three, three of the bit of the Bitcoin podcast. I'm the host that talks first, D, and I'm the other host, Dr. Corey Petty. Yeah, man. Well, uh, this is it's good to be back. Yeah, you're you look like you're back home, back home in your old bedroom. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, I'm back uh, visiting the old parents. Is it feel weird? I'm not gonna be like, home when you go visit your parents and like you go in your old room you like grew up in. Is that weird now? Because nah. you're like a, an adult. Well, it's only weird because they didn't. They weren't those parents that like uh, um, kept my room the way it was in hopes that their life wouldn't change. They totally made this room a random ass room. So like, I'm. It's very. It's well understood that I am a guest. You don't live here anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. Still got I that cheese poster on the wall. Um. That's mine, but yeah, it's not. There's like a server over there. There's like a random piece of furniture back here. Uh, yeah, it's just it's. Uh, it makes me want to leave quickly, and that's okay because that's what you want to do when you visit the parents. Right you want to get week? in, get, let's, let's do that. Get How was in, your get out. Oh man, it was a busy, yeah, I know you've busy had a, week. You've had a doozy. You've had a bit of a doozy this week. I um. As you guys know, I am a small business consultant, so I travel the U.S. of A., the continental U.S. of A., uh, consulting a a litany of different businesses and a litany of different industries um, on how to make money. And this week, I had the pleasure of learning about the heating oil industry. Do you know about the heating oil industry, Corey? It's dead. That is not, but it's dying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I remember. I actually remember going looking at houses when I bought a house up here in Maryland, and I was like, I went to the basement and there's this big ass tank. It's like, what the hell is that? And I was like, oh, it's the heating. I was like, it's, it heats, it's heating oil. And I was like, what the hell is that? 
that's <laughs> that's not that's yeah. not modern that can't be efficient yeah and uh my client talks like jack nicholson so all week he's like i gotta get my service sector up because the service guys get my clients burning oil and that's what i do i tell my guys <laughs> i tell my guys we need these people burning oil because then we can get back out there and we give up service and they see us more and uh it's just a fucking hell like <laughs> the whole week that that's was pretty good week. that's a pretty good jack nicholson he even has the eye the, like the eyebrows dude he even does the eyebrows like my fuck these people gotta get them burning oil and and it's not non-tax. I could make a good margin on that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my goodness. This is interesting. But uh yeah, it was it was I learned a lot about the heating oil industry in just a week. I learned a lot about the actual so I never knew what futures markets were for. Oh yeah. So that's funny. Like I know what they do, but in the heating oil industry, he literally uses the futures market in order to try and because his, that's his main, it's his main expense, right? It's his direct cost of actually purchasing the oil. So he uses the futures market to try and purchase at a at a lower price in the future. Does that make sense? So it's physically, it's physically delivered oil, just like what's going on in the Bitcoin world. We have physically delivered Bitcoin. So it kind of spurs a uh, different kind of eco, eco yeah. There's some different economic factors going on when people are actually using the Bitcoin and they need that physically delivered Bitcoin. So they're like playing the market with that pricing. So he has to play the futures market to in order to get good prices on his oil so he could sell that oil because he got to get him burning oil. So, so uh, he, is his forecast um, to go out of business? <laughs> it's because because no one's burning I, oil these days. I plead the fifth. <laughs> One, two, three, four, fifth. <laughs> um, right on. Yeah. So I didn't say their name. Yeah, I didn't say their name. Okay, you did cool. not say Can't their name. Sued. We would have we would have beep right. that out. Yeah. Um. How about you, man? How was your week? Uh, week was week was good. Regular old week. Just. Trogging along, doing stuff, trying to keep my head above water. I don't have nice. a lot to report back this week, man. That's uh. What about the of, small stuff? What about the small stuff? Yeah, man. Give us some like, give us a taste of the small stuff. And Corey's like, like, did you make any homemade egg rolls? Like, let's see. What did what? I do? Uh, I went outside hmm? this week. Walked the dogs. Um. <laughs> A tree fell down my on my land and I had to gotta go chop that up today. Big ass tree. My neighbor complained about another tree that's encroaching on his 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 uh, horse stable that I'm gonna need to go get chopped. This thing is this is like a two hundred year old oak tree, right? This thing <laughs> is huge. It is like there there's no I don't even know how the professionals are gonna cut this thing down because it's I mean it's literally like I think it could fit six people around it, like you know, like you know, like if they're, mm. if they're trying to hug it. Mm-hmm. It's like six people, like girth. 
I don't know. How else to I say love that. how you just created a caveman measurement system on the fly. Like, well, that's a six arm tree right there. What? What's a six arm tree? You know, six people take six people to hug the tree. Where you been, man? This is how <laughs> standard, we measure trees. Standard user measurement here in the tree tree industry. The standard. And then there's that one caveman that fucks it up. Like, but some people have longer arms than others. Shut the fuck up, Steve. <laughs> You're the one that complained no, about the foot. Um. Anyway, no, I, I'd imagine the most the most difficult caveman to live with would probably be named Jeffrey. You know, caveman like, named Jeffrey. Exactly. That's what all his friends would say. Like, damn, man, Jeffrey. Who the fuck is Jeffrey? Why is Jeffrey always here? Our units of measurements are fine. Anyways, let's, I went on uh, a tangent. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about some Bitcoin stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the Bitcoin podcast for you guys that haven't listened before. Uh, there's a few of you out there. We talk about all things crypto because Bitcoin is all things crypto. Um, and that's where we're going to stop. We're not going any further into the explanation. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, so in that light, um, I wanted to do like an explainer for kind of once where I specifically set out to explain something as opposed to like it just happenly by happenstance pop up in conversation and then I explain it. Um. And that's something that's like used ubiquitously across the entire blockchain industry. Yeah. Um, that's seed phrases, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you have a wallet, a cryptocurrency wallet in, in the modern times, it didn't always work this way. Whenever you initiate that thing, initialize it or start up your wallet for the first time, it says, this is your seed phrase. Save it. It's incredibly important. Back it up. Don't take a picture of it. Put it somewhere. Wrap it in laminate so it doesn't deteriorate over the years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have a ledger. They give you a seed phrase, 24 words on ledger, I think. Um, most other mm-hmm. wallets are 12 words. And so I just wanted to kind of talk about, one, like what it is, how it's how it gets generated, and then how do you use it, right? Is that So to you... In your opinion, you, you you kind of, it's maybe not the right person to ask, but I don't think you know the details of how seed phrases work. What do you think seed phrases are? It's what you say right before you ejaculate. Oh, man. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm good so, Lord. So sorry. Just, you just <laughs> threw it up there and I had to take a swing at it. You took um, a swing. Uh, um, a seed phrase. <laughs> okay. Let me stop. Seed phrase is uh, a unique. <laughs> stop. If you laugh, I'm going to laugh. And it's Sorry. over. Yeah, we're, we're, we're children on the show. Seed phrase is a unique grouping of words that basically points to, and I know I'm probably not using the right technical terms, points to the private key. Um, for your wallet. So you've got this private key that is responsible for pushing all of the transactions out and it lies on the elliptic curve. But the C phrase is another function or is a random assembling of words and that random assembling creates, maybe you hash it and it creates a thing that points to the private key. And that's, that's as good as a guess as I can get. It's not a bad guess. It's uh, it's okay. not right, but it's close. All right. Uh, so whenever you 
create a new wallet, right? Um, and, and you need to like, like, okay, I have to use the word. You have to seed it with some uh, initial amount of entropy. When I say entropy, mm. that's, uh, uh, it's, it's just random information that no one else can generate if they wanted to. Right. So it's just, mm. it's like a, it's a series of random bits that no one else should be able to generate if they, if they wanted to. That's what's what I mean by entropy. So, um, your computer has to be seeded by this because you need to make public and private key pairs that are unique to you and no mm -hmm. one else has. Mm -hmm. That's what gives kind of the ownership thing of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. They're, they're, they're like, that's why they work. It's public and private key pairs and asymmetric cryptography. So it starts off with like, you open up wallet on your phone or your computer and your computer has a specific source of, of randomness that it can pull from depending on what device you're using. And it says, all right, give me some bits. Give me some sweet bits. So it pulls off these random bits from um, your computer and it can range between 128 bits to um, 256 bits, right? And then it takes the SHA of that, it hashes that, which gives you um, a hash digest. So it gets 100, we'll just, we'll do, we'll do 12 words for right now. So a 12 word seed. 12 word seed is 128 bits. It hashes mm -hmm. that, takes the first mm -hmm. four bits of that, that's called a checksum, and puts it on the end. So you have your entropy, the initial 128 bits that you've generated. It's just random ass information on your, on your computer. And then the checksum, which is the first four bits of the hash, put on the end of it. And then chops that um, information up into uh, 12 equally distant segments. So now you have 12 pieces of that 128 bits chopped up. Does that make sense? Chop up now. Yeah. Yep. So you now mm -hmm. have you have 12 little pieces of information um, that are that are in order in their equal mm -hmm. amount. Mm -hmm. So if you list those 12 bits, um, you, you then map what those 12 bits are to a word list. Mm. Right? And so mm -hmm. that then gives you your 12 words. So we have a list of, what is it, 2,048 words where oh. any one of those bits that you've chopped up corresponds to one of those words. So there's a giant, kind of like a multiplication table. There's 2,048 on the horizontal, 2,048 on the vertical rows and columns, and then that's how it finds it. No, it's just, it's just, it's, it's 2,048 on the on, uh, rows. And with that bit, oh, that's matches right. a you word. You need a table. You would need a table. You just need okay. That, that bit matches a word. That's your word list. That's what that is. So all all it does is more, correspond to right. some random bit that you've generated between. So the more words in the, the in one hundred twenty eight bit range. Secure. Yes, and so if you do twenty four words, that's going to be twelve words. Sorry, it's going to be twenty four words. If you do twenty four words, that's going to be two hundred fifty six bits. Of randomness but you'd actually need and that's, more that's, words that's the amount of that's the amount of information in a private key and so it's not really useful uh, to go beyond that wouldn't you need more words in the whole total word space if you use 24 words because yeah. if you use 24 words in the same word space wouldn't that increase the likelihood of it you would, using but it's good enough 
it's it's certainly good enough. Okay. Just, ser- enough just search D. the just search the 2048 word space. It's not good enough for D, damn it. Well. Double that word space if you double the seed phrase. That's also if you if you increase the um entropy, the initial entropy. So if you do 24 words, that's 256 bits of of initial entropy. And so the checksum that goes in the end is, is going to end up being eight bits instead of a one byte instead of four bits. It's like there's just some there's an algorithm for this, right? But like people aren't just randomly choosing words out of thin air and then turning those into a wallet. You can do that. Kind but of. That would be incredibly difficult. Eh, it's just it's, it's so. Well, no, no. Why do why do we do this? What's the point of doing this? Okay, let me see if I can answer that, Doc. I think you do that. Because, well, one, it increases the uniqueness of your wallet. Or it, val- it verifies the absolute uniqueness of your wallet. Why do we use words? That's Because words are easy to remember. Exactly. And words are easy to write down. Words, and words are easy to remember, easy to write down, easy to split up, easy to tell your friends, uh, easy to check. I give you a list of 12 words, it's going to be easy for you to repeat those back to me after writing them down without messing it up mm-hmm. than it is for me to give you um, 128 bits of entropy. Like just random ass bits in your computer. Mm. You should, we should make a wallet so that you should ch- you could choose your word space dependent upon your maturity level. Uh, that way it even help you memorize it. We'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, let's get, there's, there's problems with doing that. In terms of uh, in terms of standardization, programming problems. Okay. No, no, you could do it easily in software. It's about it's more of a social context for that one. Let's okay, teach so the whole world. Okay, that's that. Uh, now we have we have our random um, amount of information that is the seed to our wallet, right? We've seeded our wallet with some bit of randomness, some some initial mm-hmm. bits of randomness, and we have a human memorable way of writing this down and saving it. Right, so yes, sir. What do we do now? We want to. We want to try it. We want to use. We're making a wallet. So what happens is they use this, and they basically do some cryptography through um, a key stretching function. They combine this twelve word or twenty four words, depending on which one you use, and it can range. It can go from twelve to twenty four in I think three word increments. Mm, interesting. So it has to be chunks of 32 bits. It doesn't matter. So we combine these our, our words, our mnemonic words that we can remember and write down with a salt and a potential and potentially a passphrase, depending on your level of security. Put those through this cool cryptography function called a key stretching function. Uh, hash it a bunch of times. Typically for what we're doing in cryptocurrencies, 2048 rounds, hash it a bunch of times. And that gives you your initial 512-bit seed. That seed is what you use to generate keys for any any chain you want mm. so that, that's your that's your that's the most precious thing you have because you use that to then generate keys on bitcoin keys on ethereum keys on dash it doesn't matter what blockchain it is that's the same entropy you use just in different like pathways we can talk about hd wallets maybe another time um, but what's important about that is that 
doesn't matter what um, what safeguards you have inside of your wallet for your keys. If mm-hmm. your 12-word seed is compromised, does that make sense? It does make sense. So you got to keep those seed words very close to the chest, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, because it does like you can you can add unless you add the optional password to get that 512 bit seed, then anyone who gets it can derive mm-hmm. every single key in your entire wallet. And so and that's say, also say, the beauty. Yeah, that's 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 what's nice about this is because say I'm using a wallet, um, and there's there, there's potentially like two use cases here. Well, three use cases. Um, we'll talk about. First one's obvious, back it up. If I if I lose my phone, I can restore my account on something else without having to worry about um, like never getting access to those keys again. So I, I have one piece of information that I back up the moment I start a wallet and I'll be able to regenerate that wallet later on down the line if I have a problem accessing those keys. Another thing I can do with the seed phrase is use the same keys on multiple wallets. So for instance, like um, what I currently do um, is I have my status application because I work at status and I have my keys on there with a little bit of money in them and status and S&T. And I also um, have taken that seed phrase that initialized my status wallet and put it in MetaMask. That's a little OPSEC, but there's no real money in there. So it doesn't matter. Um, right. So that way, I can use the same accounts on both my computer um, Ooh, and my better, browser. Bleep that part out. It doesn't matter. Perhaps they're safe. Okay. Like, I know how to back up my stuff. All right. You'll need to compromise my computer or my phone in order to get to those things, which better, I'm already you comfortable stop, with. You better stop telling people that they need to kidnap you. And there's no money in there. I don't keep money in that account because I treat it like a hot wallet. Hmm. That's a big part of it, right? You treat your wallets like like you know, appropriate to the amount of money that holds in them. So I don't mind if people know this. Yeah. Um, Hot wallet. And so I can I can use the same accounts on multiple accounts, multiple devices that I have simultaneously. It's kind of like a syncing option, right? Mm-hmm. Not ever having to implement syncing into your into your 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 yeah. wallet. And um, what's the last not last one? So we have backup. Portability. Um, that's main. That's the main two. If you back it up, you can use it somewhere else. Uh, for some reason, the third one's the third one's escaping me. If there was one, um, but what you said earlier about like, what if people just choose their own seeds? They don't. They don't pick mm-hmm. from that specific list word list. So if if you would like to take that somewhere, say you do that on some piece of software and it works, cool. That's going to work. But if you lose that software or something goes wrong with it. Other software is not going to know how to make that translation between that set of words and the correct set of bits so that they can't regenerate the keys. It's just basically going to be a new wallet because they can't make that translation. So the standard is what allows us to like multiple people to build wallets and they all interact on the same um, method for generating the initial seed. I I guess my only... It's not qualms, but um, the part that makes me feel uneasy in the left side of my tummy is that if you, if someone knew the word space, 
would it be that hard for them to string together a bunch of guessing computers in guess combinations until they were in people's wallets? No, um, it's it's basically the same um, search space as it is keys. It is. It's almost as big, if not as big. I have to. I looked at the math, but it's it's big enough that even twelve words you'd need like. And I think that, what was I reading the other day? Um, like a year of the entire hash rate of Bitcoin to maybe find one key, if that was. Yeah. I guess too because it's the length of the it's the length of the words that change. I think and I have some here. Um, let's see here. What's the so it'd be something to the twenty sixth, right? Because there's twenty six letters in the alphabet, and each word is going to change what you multiply that by. Yeah, that's a very large number. So never it's mind. One times uh, ten my, to the seventy seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh. This, this. So it's you need twenty four words. We'll do we'll do twenty four word right. 24 words, each one is 2000, each one picks from 2048. So that's going to be 2048 to the power of 24. Yeah, that's a very, very, very large number. Okay, right. we're good. We're good. I'm, or 12, um, right? Um, 2048 to the power of 12 is still really, 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 really big that our computers can't brute force yet. It's pretty big. And so, why do um, we always go with like low safe numbers? If I were like in the position to create this stuff, I would be like, we're going 2048 to the 2048. And people would be like, oh, gaps. And I'd be like, yeah. Well, you don't yeah, want to write down we're... 2048 words, do you? Um, Say you're, you're I've got this I new mean, wallet, son. Uh, I'll be back in two days. I got to write down all the 2048 words associated with my private key. Hope I wrote them down right. Oh, yeah, I guess that is what that number ties to. So then we'll, so we'll say 2048 to the, yeah, never mind. But then I could like, I could just take a, tell a computer to, nope, because that's not safe. So anyways, never mind. We're keeping it where it's at for the time being. So that's the seed phrase. And I think people don't quite get that. That's, and, and, I, and mm-hmm. um, I was talking with one of our, uh, the head of design at Status. And I talk a lot about like the words that we use in terms of like why we use them and the intuition it gives. And um, I wrote this like kind of graphic to talk about the seed phrase and how it generates all of the different keys inside of status that we use. Because we actually we actually use keys that are outside of like wallet functionality. We generate um, like the identity key, um, the encryption key things like that for the database of the application from that initial seed as well. Like in status, your identity is, is that seed. We generate everything mm. from it. Um, and so when I was showed the graphic, I, I wrote when I, when I was looking at like, I do like a tree basically, right? Cause why not use the same analogies of the words we're using? And so the seed was actually like a little seed at the bottom. And I put seed phrase as two words. She's like, I've always read that as one word, seed phrase. And it never clicked to me ever for any reason whatsoever. It's called seed for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's because from every like from everything that you're going to use in a wallet or an application or other things that later on come down the line, stems or grows from that initial seed phrase, seed, seed number, which is generated from your seed phrase. Ooh, can the analogy get deep and then eventually other things from that seed phrase drop other seeds? 
Well, uh, HD wallets, HD wallets are a tree structure in which like the, the leaves, yeah. the leaves of a tree are, are your perfect and private key pairs. Yeah, man, we're getting biological in this bitch. And so today. that's like, they, they use that analogies for a reason, right? Like it's, it's the only way you can do it. And each, each kind of branching from the seed to the leaf is mm-hmm. um, like a level of deterministic keys that are derived from the seed. And so like with HD wallets, which stands for hierarchical deterministic wallet, I think that's BIP44, BIP44, mm-hmm. if you want to look into it. Um, you, can, you can generate as many keys as you want from that one seed that are all going to be different that are not attached to each other. So like if I gave you the leaf seed, there's no way you could know any of the seeds that I, any, any of the keys that I use to get to the leaf. Mm. So if I say, say there's That's, four yeah. levels of the tree, you have this, you have the original seed, you have um, one private, private key pair that generates another one that generates, that generates another one. If I gave you that last one, which you would normally see in your wallet, there's no way you would know anything about the ones in between. Mm. So you end up I having like it, like one Crypto piece of information. Yeah, it's what's one. That's what's so great about these things, and why it's it's we've turned a it's, corner. It's, it's, it's turned a corner in terms of usable cryptography. Is that I can back up one easily human memorable chunkable piece of information meaning i can give like four people um each a set of three of my 12 word seed so that way none of them are able to like come to, like they, they would all have to collude in order to come together mm-hmm. to, to recreate it get biological baby and i can generate all the keys that ever want to ever want to use that's neat because in that you also kind of there's these soft implications that you could change culture because the people that have like the people that know the end pattern of these 12 words of these 24 words become really, really valuable or really important people. Just if dependent upon how you set up, you know, the wallet or the whatever thing that they have control over, you know what I mean? No, I don't. What do you mean? Well, like if there's a wallet and it's holding a community's money and there's only one person that knows the order of that the words are supposed to go in or two people that know the order that know the words, that, but then like people below them know bits and pieces of the seed phrase, right? Then you've got this hierarch, hierarchy of, of information in the company or the community. Are you talking about like trying to split up the seed phrase? Yeah, like if you split the seed, say, okay, say two people know the know half of the seed phrase and the order, and then below them are four people each that know, you know. Yeah, I think that's like, eight. I think that's what social recovery um, is about. So like, if you want to think this, it's like, so for instance, um, some wallets, maybe yeah. only one wallet, I know we're looking into it, um, and Vitalik talked about it a while back, is the concept of... Um, having social recovery where like my phone automatically sends out small pieces of my seed phrase to people that I identify as like trusted people. So mm-hmm. if I ever lost access to my account, I'd have to go through some rigor morale of proving to those set people that I'm who I am. I say I am. 
and they can release their pieces of my original seed phrase back to me so I can recreate my account. And you can, you can make software that does this more seamlessly and automatically so that mm -hmm. the user maybe never touches these things. I don't know how, I don't I'm not, I'm not sure about the, whether or not I like that security model, but it's one way of, of giving people access to their account without, without them having to like memorize passwords or write things down and store it safely um, themselves. They rely on hmm. individuals. So like, you know, your grandmother can rely on, you know, you, your friend, like you, me, your mom and dad in order to like always guarantee access to that account through some specific software. Yeah. And it wouldn't work for me because like this information or disinformation age has made me so weary. Like I'm a hard person to meet these days because <laughs> every conversation in the back of my head, I'm like, don't give them any security question. <laughs> no, dude, those security dude. question answers, <laughs> those don't even get me started. Don't, don't ever answer those correctly. Ever. Don't ever, if someone, if you go through like your, your banking app or some shit and they're like, oh, you should answer these three security questions. That's really hard to find. What's your last name? You know, like, and <laughs> like, don't ever answer those. Put regular passwords, just, like make up regular ass passwords for those things and store those in a password manager. And that's how you use security. Like th those, those like social security questions. Uh, that was another moment that this week with Jack Nicholson where he was like, people asking me to pay my bills online. I got fucking 500 passwords and then you got to recover the shit. And I just don't know. <laughs> and then so I was like, being me, I'm like, you should get a password manager. He's like, what the fuck is a password manager? And I was like, <laughs> it was, it was just an interesting Roll up my sleeves. You've got some work yeah. to do. Yeah. So um, let's, let's, this is a good time to segue into the interview. Yeah, that's security. Um, Perfect. Yeah, it's security. Uh, hold on, my computer froze. Let me wake it up real quick. Lazy ass computer. Like you can just go to sleep whenever you want. So this week's interview uh, was with Daniel Luca, or is it Lucha? I think it's Luca. I think it's Luca. He's, he's he didn't say Lucha. I think you're just trying to be multicultural. You don't need to be. Um. I am though. Then you like overpronounce so, someone's <laughs> last name. They're like, it's just Luca, man. Yeah. Rodriguez. <laughs> it's like, why are you rolling your R's that hard? Ale Rodriguez. I'm going to say my name that way, man. Stop it. <laughs> uh, Daniel Luca, smart contract auditor, or they call it in the biz, an SCA. I don't uh -huh. think they do that. They should. And uh, let's. <laughs> he's a. Uh, he, so he's based in Romania. He's a self taught developer. He's got a passion for open source tech security blockchain uh he's he's been coding for a while you may or may not know him uh i mean obviously you may or may not know every person on the planet but uh that's the best phrasing but anyways, introduction ever yeah yeah <laughs> that's how we do it um so without further ado everybody to the bitcoin podcast the interview today we've got daniel luca from consensus diligence guy who cracked open the fairwind smart contract issues um daniel do the normal thing tell us where you're from how you got into the space um hey guys 
I'm uh, Daniel Luca. I'm uh, from Bucharest, Romania. I got into blockchain after I actually had um, um, I had a few startups before, and then I had a burnout, and then I took some a bit of break, and then I looked into AI and blockchain in parallel, and blockchain felt more interesting at that point. So um, then I started with the consensus. That was the beginning of 2017. So um, I helped build um, Alethio, which is an um, analytics platform for Ethereum. And then um, I wanted to go more into more in-depth and more close to uh, the Ethereum virtual machine. So I was searching for something to do like solidity or security. And um, I got into consensus diligence, which is super, super fun for me. So you said you had a couple startups, like what, what were they? And are you like the entrepreneurial type or you just like to build cool shit and people were like, oh, you might as well turn that into a company. Which one is it? Um, I think I did both. Um, most of my background is actually in um, software development. So I was like a normal developer, but I always played with new technologies and I, I tried to make interesting interesting stuff. So it was always my passion. Mm. Um, after a while, I started to do freelance for, and that was okay. Um, and that created like, when you do freelance, you need to be very aware of how you manage your time because nobody's going to take uh, make you work or do something else. So yeah, I learned how to do that. And then um, I wanted to become an entrepreneur and that I spent like maybe five or six years of my life trying to do that with lots of failures and mm, some some wins. Um, but then I, I, I hit the, the burnout and I had to take a break. Mm. Right on. I'm sorry to hear that. I, I think that's the standard case for a lot of people who try to do startups, but you learn so many ridiculously good lessons about what not to do or how to do stuff in the process of doing it. Uh, yes, it, it certainly develop as a human being. I think you have to, I mean, I, I lasted for six years, so I did something right for a while. And then, um, you actually learn a lot of stuff. There's a lot of experience you ac accumulate. Um, but you know, after a while, you're kind of tired of just learning and you want some really big <laughs> wins. <laughs> I hear that. So let's uh, let's like let's let's talk about let's talk about auditing smart contracts because that's what consensus diligence does for a good portion of of um, I say that's a good portion of what consensus diligence does. What does it mean to audit smart contracts for those listeners of ours who don't understand the difference between like Ethereum smart contracts and Bitcoin smart mm -hmm. contracts for for example? Mm -hmm. Me, okay. I'm a listener. <laughs> I, I want to know. <laughs> Lay it out there. So um, I think we're at the intersection of auditing and consulting because you can just do you can do security audits where you just try to steal ether or try to destroy something in the contract, but we also like to do the consulting part. So we try to give advice on how to do things better, maybe optimize gas or maybe simplify the architecture, 
um, add more comments, add more tests, uh, stuff like that. Um, but when you actually start to do it, um, it depends on the team. So we're, we, we try to stay very flat as an organization. Um, and when we start an audit, somebody becomes the lead of the, of the audit and um, they need to start building a team. So when you build a team, you need people with different skill sets. So we have people that are better with um, like people who find really interesting bugs really quickly or people who sweat out the details. And you try to get one of each in the team, one who's better organized so he, he keeps track of what we need to do or one who just tries to exploit the contract in, in the worst way possible. Or people who, um, if it's a, an exchange, for example, a decentralized exchange or something like that, people who need to check the math behind um, behind um, the implementation and make sure that everything works well. So it's not just about stealing the ether, it's just making sure that the contract actually works according to the specs or according to the documentation. So people come to you with an idea. They're like, hey, we, we built this thing. Um, hopefully they come to you with a spec that says, this is how we think it's supposed to work. And then some implementation where this is the code that follows that spec. And they say, okay, look at it, try and break it. Tell us what, what goes wrong, how to fix it, ideas for changing it to make it more efficient, better architecture, so on and so forth. Um, and I'd say like one of your recent wins, I'd call it a win, is the Fairwind project. Can you talk about um, what that project was? And then we can start talking about kind of what you found and what, what moved from there. Um, okay. Uh, this, this is actually something different because we were not paid to do this audit. This was something that I did in a Saturday. <laughs> so <laughs> even when you're not working, you're working. I mean, we we actually really have fun. Everybody's super passionate about what we do. And um, that's why when we're not working, we're still working. So um, I have, I'm also doing, let's say, research with air quotes. Um, because I have um, I have a tool. It's named Carl. It's named after one of the bad guys um, from Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> and um, what it does is it's um, continuously scanning the scanning the, the Ethereum blockchain and it's trying to find vulnerable contracts. Um, so it's using Mithril, which does symbolic execution, and tries to extract Ether out of the contract or uh, self-destruct the contract. These are two, um, two behaviors that usually um, get you more ether than, than you initially had. So from time to time, I, I have a server that's continuously running there. And I, I usually during the, the weekend, I go and check the reports. And in one Saturday, I think it was, um, let me check. This was July. 27th July, um, I found a contract. It, I was able to move some Ether out of it. And this was the first version of Fairwind. And at that point, it wasn't a lot of Ether in it. It was like maybe half a million dollars. Not a lot. Yeah, it's not that much. No. <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's something yeah it's it's not a lot compared to what the second version had yeah that's true um yeah so um <laughs> i wasn't able to move that ether to my account but i was able to move it to the um to the owner's account um which effectively meant that the contract was not as safe as they published or the funds were not were not safe i mean the users were not secure so they had to realize that by using that contract and send, sending ether to that contract it's not theirs and it's not fair and it's not safe I, that's that's and i think they were also using lots of gas on the ethereum network and maybe i wanted to do a a transaction or something like that and i was annoyed by the large um, <laughs> gas cost so that helped for okay, a quick That's aside really here um for those that don't know uh transactions cost gas on the ethereum network and each block is limited by a certain amount of gas that can be used and so the gas limit is effectively the block size and transactions have a variable amount of gas depending on what they're trying to do in various smart contracts and so what he's saying is that the, this this smart contract was taking up a lot of gas in every block. And so that makes it difficult for other mm -hmm. users in the network to submit transactions and get them, get them through in a timely manner or for cheap, right? Because these variables kind of auto shift based on how congested the network is. Can somebody like, this is probably stupid for someone to do, but could somebody gas bomb the Ethereum network and just like do a contract that spins all the gas? And they're gonna pay for it. Something really stupid. <laughs> they're gonna pay for it. This actually happened. Um, if you remember FOMO 3D, yeah. Um, the guy that won the pot actually did that. So with, if you remember, like the the mechanics be, be, be uh, behind FOMO 3D was that if you're the last person to um, buy a ticket in that contract, you would win the whole pot. So what they did is that they bought a ticket and they they created a bunch of contracts that were just burning gas. They were sending mm. lots of uh, tra transactions with a really high gas price. Wow! And they just filled up the blocks for. So they guaranteed that yep. they were the last ticket. And and so wow. like the, like the cost of dosing the the network was cheaper than the amount they're going to win from FOMO 3D. Totally. It was about $2.5 million back then. I know the Jeez. details because I did uh, research about this about a, maybe a year ago. Um, yeah, th that was super fun. <laughs> and nobody, <laughs> nobody realized this was possible. So that, that was cool. Damn. I think I'm really smart when I almost win at fantasy football. And then there's people out there like, why don't I just gas bomb the Ethereum network and guarantee myself two and a half million dollars? That that'll be a fun Saturday. This is why developers win, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Oh fuck my fantasy league. So I got another another question. I guess is is there a step by step process to these audits? I'm sure that there is. Like I'm sure you go step one. Look at the stuff and then step two, like how do you break it down? Or is that like your secret sauce and you can't share it with our audience? Oh, no, no, no. We can share that. Um, so we do, we first do a scoping where we check the code and make sure that um, we can provide an accurate estimation for the amount of effort and, you know, price for the audit. 
And then, um, you know, there's the contract, everything goes well, and we start the audit. And I like to, as I said, if I'm, if I'm the lead, I like to have in my team people that approach the audit differently. So what I do personally is that I go through each line step by step. I usually try to pick the, like the, the smallest contracts and um, really well understand the basic blocks for that contract and then work my way up. But there are people who just try to find where does the ether move and where could be the biggest bugs. And they just go to those points directly and then, then try to um, exploit that and see if that makes sense. So most of the time you're just reading code, but you can also run different tools and find out if you can, um, it's, it's, you can run static analysis, you can run symbolic analysis and you might find something. But most of the time, the biggest amount of time that you're going to spend is just reading the code. And sometimes you're going to stare at a few lines of code, knowing that something is there, but you're not able to see it yet. So and that, I think that has a lot to do with context of what the contract is supposed to do versus what it's actually doing. And, and what's interesting about this is for Ethereum, that's a much harder thing to because, because solidity is so more generalized than Bitcoin script or, or, or most other popular smart contracting languages. Um, it allows for people to be pretty expressive in their smart contracts. And then how that then transforms into what gets put into the blockchain and what they meant to do are all different variables you can take into account when trying to figure out that this thing does what the guy who wrote it thinks it's supposed to do versus the guy who hired that guy to write it asked him to do. It's also kind of a philosophical question. It's like the, we, we usually consider the code is law. That's like the, the mantra of Ethereum, code is law. So if you're looking at some code that does something, it's always, it's 100% right all the time. Hmm. But you kind of have to assume that people don't want to do stupid stuff. So if there is also documentation that describes things in one way and the code does something in a different way, you see the discrepancy and you're going to say one is incorrect. I don't know which, but one is incorrect. Maybe maybe the code or maybe the documentation wasn't updated. So it's I'm not sure exactly how to to um Well shit. Let's let's let's, let's talk about fair let's go back to Fairwind. What was their reaction when you said, hey, um, you have a problem? Um so the thing was I didn't tell them they have a problem. I just found a, a method that was um, sending the the, con the the ether to uh, their account, and I called that one, and I just emptied the contract. And I didn't think that was a big thing. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody <laughs> about it. <laughs> so I didn't do anything, and then we, um, our whole team went to Las Vegas because we went to a DEF CON, DEF CON. Yeah. Um, and we, um, I also had a presentation there with uh, Bernard Mueller. Um, and after, after maybe a month, um, Philippe 
contacted me saying that, how did you hear about Fairwin? He, he sent me a message on Twitter. And it seems that during that time and during that month, uh, Fairwin um, added a message on their website and they said, an unknown hacker drained the contract. We uh, created a new version and patched that thing. So now it's super secure. So we can you can you can keep playing this game. So they moved uh, about two point five thousand um, ether, about um, half a million dollars in the new version, and people started to add more ether to it. So. Um, Philip sent me a message on the, uh, September 13. So at that point, the contract had about $8 million in it. So it, it was it was growing. It was, it was super popular. Golly. The, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and one of, we, we started thinking about what should we do about it? We can probably start to exploit it because the code was really bad quality. But we, I remember these conversations in in like the Ethereum community, like the Ethereum the Ethereum security community channel on Telegram, looking at these contracts and and just like good, like just gawking at the poor code quality of these contracts. I actually thought about. I mean, I wasn't sure if the the person who wrote the contract is actually a genius trying to obfuscate the code in the most well way. I mean. <laughs> It was so hard to read. It was so frustrating that nobody would be able to do that. <laughs> there were things like, if A is true, do this, and then require A is not true. Like, that's going to fail 100% of the time. But it was basically dead code, but it was in there. And it, <laughs> it's like, this guy's hmm. a genius or he's an idiot, and I have no idea which one it is, and it's. I'm spending more time trying to figure out whether or not he's an idiot or a genius than I am trying to break his code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like that. Could someone and, uh, Superman two Ethereum? I don't know what that. How hard would it be to do? Oh, Superman two. So uh, you know Superman. We all he's know what Superman guy. is. Um, well, in Superman two with Christopher Reeves. Uh, What's, what's the bad guy's name? Lex Luthor tried to like hack the banks by stealing like the sixth decimal place of rounding of pennies. So he, the office space and is office based space. on Superman 2? Yeah. So it was office space. Like they were, they were trying to Superman 2. Like could somebody, because I mean, you've got this contract running right now that's basically, or you got this tool that's scanning Ethereum looking for shit. And it finds it like I'm sure you get like an email or something. It's like, hey, you know, found some shit. <laughs> I mean, could you? <laughs> that's what, that's really what the email going. says. That's exactly what the email says when it finds something. So, I mean, could you? Could anyone do that and just not get caught? Like, you didn't have to tell anyone. You could have just taken that ether and had a great wait weekend, like a great weekend, but you didn't because you're an honest guy. But there's other versions of you that aren't. So like, how easy is it to do for what you've done? How easy is it to do? Um, I, I think there are people who try to do this. Um, that's why. Um, so what we presented at DEF CON was that we, um, we created some honeypots and we were trying to 
uh, lure some hackers into exploiting those contracts. And the contracts were indeed vulnerable, but you were able to front run them in order to trick them into getting their ether. So mm -hmm. this was a, a specific type of honeypot. And I wrote another tool that does that. So we, and we found out there are people who do this. And I think there are people who, so for example, we deployed a few contracts and, but we did not provide the source code. So that means that there is no automated tool that does that. But when we also provided the source code, people would check the source code, see, oh my God, this is vulnerable. Let's exploit it. So there is um, there are people who manually check what's going on in on Ethereum, and it kind of happens, yeah. Mm. Okay, well that's good to know. It's not like super vulnerable, and because then people will be trying to steal stuff from Ether all the time and not actually building on it. So that's good it's to know. It's actually not that bad. I mean, you find stuff from time to time, but it's not as bad as you think. It's gotten a lot better yeah. over the past, like, say, year and a half. Uh, the tooling involved, like the type of stuff that he's saying, he has just kind of automatically watching and automatically checking. Just look for various types of um, easy vulnerabilities that people shouldn't be doing anymore. Or even even some more like complex vulnerabilities you can automatically check for. And the people who are considered the ethical hackers are doing this in a manner that's typically faster than most of the people who are who are capable of doing it, who are not ethical hackers. And so like most of, in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, most of the like real smart, smart contract vulnerabilities come from much more complex interactions of the smart contracts. Yes, I totally agree. And we actually debated this for, for about two weeks. Um, so um, we created a group with some of the people from the um, White Hacker group. And we discussed, should we make this public or should we exploit the contract and give the ether back to the people? So we were able to create like a force field around the contract that would catch all of the new ether entering the contract and then um, add it to our account. And at a later date, we were able to, we would, we would have been able to um, send the ether back to the people. Um, we kind of voted against that because we needed to write a lot of code, do a lot of setup, and we, we would have lost a, a lot of uh, ether on uh, transaction fees. And also, um, DevCon 5 was, was uh, in a, a few weeks happening. So we said, let's not do that and just make uh, the whole thing public. So what do you, how, how do you, how, what was the reception to that in terms of like not giving it back, finding a vulnerability? Cause I mean, that's, that's gotta be, that's gotta be a difficult dis discussion to say like, Hey, what do we do with all this money? Should we just not give it back, give it back. That's going to cost us. It's difficult because it is difficult, but it is possible in public. Uh, yeah, it is difficult. It's possible. And we created a group large enough that we would keep each other um, accountable if anybody tried to do bad stuff. So we, we were, I think, um, about seven people. Um, Vitalik was in that group for a short while because we were trying to find the users of uh, Fairwin, which were, they were very connected to um, a Chinese exchange Huobi, I think. Um, and we were trying to make them 
aware that this contract is not safe and the owners can at any time uh, run with your ether. So we discussed uh, options on what to do and we also contacted legal. And if you're gonna talk to a lawyer, they're gonna tell you don't do anything because that's most, most of the time the right thing to do and it's the easiest for them to defend. I mean, they didn't do anything, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, mm. And we, we didn't really want to run with the ether. So we, where is it? Where I, is it now? It's just sitting in an account, not doing anything. Oh, um, so what happened next is that we started to make the whole thing public. So we gathered a lot of um, data. Um, we used a Dune analytics, and you can you can create like a dashboard. Um, Markdown dashboard with graphs and with everything. And we just gathered a lot of data. And we saw, like, for example, around $130 million worth of Ether has gone through that contract at that point. Um, so we said, OK, where did the, this Ether go? Who is getting most of the fees? And we, we were seeing that the owner was getting a lot of the fees. And we just created tweet storms and blog posts. And after a while, this the, the word got to the people, even though they were in China. And we weren't sure if we're gonna if we're gonna make this public on Twitter, if any any message will get to them. So we, we weren't sure that is gonna happen. But in about three days, um, the contract went from holding 10 million worth of ether to zero. So yeah, we had just like, screw that, I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that was um, that was good because it was just growing up until then. And our media reach um, actually did something good. So we didn't write any code, even I think all of their, all of us were developers and um, security guys. Um, we took a different route. It was maybe the easiest one. So here's a question. Hmm. Um, do you consider this somewhat of a bug bounty for me? Okay, here, here's a better question. Um, were these people incompetent or malicious? And how could you know that? Um, it was interesting because when we started to make the whole thing public, they actually reacted. So they said, uh, people are saying that this game is a scam and it's not a scam. And one of our critiques was that the team page had fake pictures. So it was either pictures from I mean, people from Instagram, but with different names. So it's definitely fake pictures. And they changed <laughs> all of the pictures. That's always, with, that's always a good sign. <laughs> yeah. And they, they changed all the pictures to cartoons, which was okay. Now they're not fake anymore, but not real either. Um, they also said that their code was audited, but they didn't provide any, any report, any audit. So, and I, I, I don't think their code was audited. I mean, no, anybody who saw anyone that who code, read that code knows that it was not audited. If it was, yeah. the, the audit report said, fix everything that you wrote down because this you cannot publish this. <laughs> yeah. And they also created a, a three-minute video, which is super extra cringy, where they explain that the 
everything is safe and people should still use their innovative DAPP application or it's it's an insane video that so they actually reacted to this and um but still the people didn't trust them anymore hmm. i'm not hmm. sure i actually answered your question oh do, no do, like do, how do you know if they're incompetent or if they're malicious or incompetent it sounds like they're a little bit of both I mean that's 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 a combination that's pretty it's pretty common they're, I'd say like most malicious people. a lot of I'd say the majority of people who are malicious are incompetent. Yeah, they're catfishing people though. Like I mean, you put Instagram photos on there and change the names like that's malicious. You're trying to get people's money. I mean, they're, they're probably a little bit of both. They're just competent enough to take people's shit and run. Like, I think that's what they were. I think that's what they were probably banking on. But, I, I, but I what, like, I don't know. Like, if you had ten million dollars in a contract and you could run with it, when do you draw the line? At the time you run, that's probably the time you draw the line. It's too late for everyone else. I mean, if I was doing that, I would have drawn the line a lot earlier. I'd been like, I gotcha, bitch, and ran. Like. That's, Maybe they needed eleven million dollars for it. <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> like I don't know how to think like a bad guy. Sorry. They, they needed eleven million dollars and they only had ten. And Daniel fooled their plans. <laughs> so I I don't know. That's a lot of money though. Do you Jeez. see do you see this do you see this type of thing getting worse or better over time, Daniel? Especially with like the complexity of things that are happening, at least with at least within the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, I, I want to say that it's getting better, but you know, compared to FOMO 3D, which had the, the big bot at 2.5 million, um, that was much smaller than this one. Uh, it's it's gonna get worse for a while, but it's gonna get better in the long run. So that's gonna be we're gonna see a lot more like people building platforms that end up getting amassing a bunch of money that are vulnerable to either the owners taking it and leaving or people exploiting the contract in ways that the creators didn't know about and taking all that money well oh okay so both <laughs> yeah it's like that's um, basically like the two scenarios that you have uh somebody exploiting the contracts they made on purpose or someone exploiting the contracts that someone else made without them knowing and that both of those things, in my opinion, will get worse. But is it going to be as transparent? Because the complexity of these things is getting worse and worse and worse, especially when you start building on top of things like DAI and, you know, the quote unquote decentralized finance or DeFi. So I'm thinking um, as long as the tools evolve and the tools are definitely evolving, like um, tools that help you develop applications like Truffle, for example, is going to help more people get into this space and people that are not as well. Um, Who aren't you? As, sorry? Who aren't you? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not the best guy. Um, I, I, was, I was afraid for when I wanted to write my first contract, I was 
I tested it for three months. Even it had like less than a hundred lines of code, but uh, a lot of people with better tools are going to join Ethereum and start building applications without thinking about the repercussions and the problems that might arise. So we're going to see more worse code. It's like with JavaScript. JavaScript is extremely popular. So you have lots of good code and a whole lot of bad code. But that's kind of good. I mean, it, the popularity is increasing and people are using it. So it, it's kind of OK. So you're going to have bad code more and more, but that means that the popularity is increasing. And about regarding the um, complexity of the code, that's going to get worse because people are building frameworks. And it's like a whole OS is built on Ethereum. And you can use those components and build your own application on top of it. So, yeah, and the, yeah. and the tools that are available to do that make it easier and easier and easier. And so, like, people build really complex stuff without really knowing what they're doing because they have a bunch of pieces they can fit together like a puzzle. Much like, you know, think about, I mean, for those non developers, like, it's just think of, like you're given a bunch of puzzle pieces, and your job as a developer is just glue them together in novel ways. What happens if one of those puzzle pieces breaks? Then everything that used it ends up breaking. And that's kind of where things are headed to. Or at least we're on that trend as things keep growing. And I don't, I don't see a better way to do it. But that puts a lot of onus on the tooling that provides the stuff to make sure that they're checking for, they're providing the developers with things like you're using in terms of like, you can't deploy this. You can't make this because it has this problem. Fix that. Then you can deploy it. And that's, I think, where a lot of the tooling is going now is like automated checking to make sure that people who write smart contracts don't make these simple errors that automated tooling can check for. That's definitely a problem. And another thing is that you're going to have so much code that you have to audit before you interact with it. And you don't know if any of the underlying components have been tampered with. And it's going to be so much harder to um, to check everything. And if you're going to have um, normal users trying to interact with the applications, they not everybody's going to be a developer. Not everybody is going to be a security expert. And not everybody's going to, even if you are, you need the time to uh, go through everything or trust somebody that that checked it for you. That's true. And so I've been saying it for a long time now. Um, do you want some job security? Um, security and blockchain seems like a pretty good place to be for the next couple of years because <laughs> it's not going to get easier. And the amount of people who can do it appropriately is, get, is, is getting smaller and smaller compared to the amount of work that needs to be done. It's, it's super complex. I mean, we, we looked at Aragon OS, which is like a, a I mean, it's not a complete OS, but they, they bring so much, so many components and they're kind of complex and it's hard to understand what's going on there if you just look at the call graph. So they have something like a kernel and the kernel does some checks before it runs your code. So um, the, the components are good and I think people should use them, but they're super complicated. And it's the applications are getting 
really big that you cannot fit the whole uh, the whole model in your head at once. So you, that's that's a problem for auditors right now. Yeah. I could definitely see that. So what are you excited about? Let's let's start to wrap this interview up. What you, what gets you pumped about this ecosystem um, and where things are headed? I think insurance will join the DeFi train soon. I think um, that's needed because you're going to have a lot of money um, flying around on the Ethereum network and you're going to have maybe institutions or people who need some kind of insurance that that money means something or the contract, even if it has some problems, it's insured or some, if something happens to it, or if somebody, if it's a bit too centralized, you're going to get something back if bad things happen. So in a way, I think that insurance will help grow the ecosystem more. In terms of uh, technology, I like where everything is going. Um, people are building tools. We're still finding interesting stuff. Um, I still don't feel obsolete as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. um, I don't know if, if AI is going to help us build better tools, um, find bugs, maybe, maybe soon. That's always an interesting thing. Cause like there's always, there's always going to be discrepancy between how it works at a technical level, like at the code level, the machine level and what people how, how people want it to work. And because of that inherent discrepancy, you're always going to have a need for a human to look at things. And that's why I, that's why I keep saying like understanding how to do that is good job security for the future of whatever, whatever the future brings, there's always going to be a need for humans that, that are able to do that. It's not easy to get into, Oh, it's not easy. I'm sorry. It's easy to get into. It's not easy to be good enough to do it professionally, but it's certainly worth a try, in my opinion. I agree. And I think that as long as you need a lawyer to understand that weird language that you have to sign, um, people are going to need security auditors to understand applications before they interact with them. Ah, yeah. I'm signing. I'm signing because I have these assumptions. Can you make sure that these assumptions are true? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I never, I haven't thought about that to be honest. Um, all right. So, uh, where do people reach out to learn more about you and consistent diligence and uh, and uh, the Fairweb stuff? Um, so, about me, they can find me on Twitter. I'm. I think I'm clean unicorn everywhere. So, Twitter, GitHub, uh, Telegram. <laughs> Um, and consensus diligence, you can just go to uh, diligence.consensus.net and you can find uh, our page there if you need an audit or anything like that or just need some tools because we also like to develop tools. Um, go there. You're going to see the team, um, our research, our presentations, which are fun, I think. Yeah, I've always enjoyed them. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's it. Right on. And a uh, final question. We always ask all our guests this. Um, 
well, a version of this. Can you explain Ethereum in 10 words or less? Ethereum is a world computer. All right. That's part parcel of the whole whole mantra of Ethereum. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Daniel. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. And we're back. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Daniel Luca. We hope that uh, you go follow that guy. He's yeah, doing cool shit. Consensus Diligence is a, is, a, is a pretty cool place. I like the guys there. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of them there, and um, they are really they really care and they're really interested about like the security of um, the applications that are being built on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And the broader ecosystem, but they mainly focus on, of course, because they're consensus on Ethereum. Real quick, before we go into, I know you wanted to discuss the nomenclature, thing, how things are changing, and I just I have one more. Uh, I, I have one more thing that I wanted to say about um, uh, seed phrases, which uh, Hiroja Sheep, good old trusty Hiroja Sheep yeah. for the Slack. Um, so, like, I sourced a few questions. I told I told the Slack before. Um, we were going to record today about that. I was going to um, describe and explain seed phrases. And I asked if people had any questions that they wanted to, they wanted me to answer. One of those was the um, 12 word versus um, 24 word seed phrase and whether or not like 12 words is enough. And that's basically, you know, 128 bits versus 256 bits security. Uh, 256 bit security is the same amount of security that the keys themselves have. So you can take that for whatever you want. Uh, and the next one was, uh, Hiroja asked if the, the word list that you choose from, like that standard word list, the mapping between like the, the bits and then what word that corresponds to. That's mm-hmm. the main was in English, but she's like, are there other languages? And yes, there's a, there are standard lists for, I think, seven different languages let's see here we have english japanese korean spanish chinese simplified chinese traditional uh french italian and czech so there's standard word lists for all of those things according to vip 39 which is the which is this like the standardization document for how this stuff works Mm. so you can like that means that multiple wallets around the country aren't relegated to using english words they can use their native tongue um, and have a mapping. Funny enough, um, I wonder if they're translations. That'd be interesting to know if like word one in English is word one and is, is the, like, so I wonder if the first word in the Japanese word list is the translated English word from the English word list. I don't know. I guess I could Yeah, that would be interesting. That'd be interesting. Abandon is number one on English. Japanese is uh letters i don't know what those letters are let's try one that i might actually understand here (laughs) (laughs) abaco is is the first word on the spanish one i don't know what that means i don't know if that means abandon do a quick google search does a accent a with an accent b a c o mean abandon in spanish 
like this can't be because this is all alphabetical order. This is all alphabetical order. So like number abacus in English. Uh, number number nine is abrir, which is open or to open. Yeah, and that's clearly not going to be number nine of the English English one. So now, yeah, clearly, um, it doesn't work that way. They're all alphabetical order. Hmm. Okay. All right. So moving I on. I had a weird thought the other day. Not a weird thought, but more of like a where the times are going kind of thought. So like, what if the righteous win? And what I say, what I mean, when I define the righteous, I'm talking about, there's a, there's a group of people that is growing that thinks that like anonymousness is, should be a given on the internet. And if you want to disguise who you are, you should have that right. And da, da, da. And there's more and more like entities trying to cringe on that making you have to identify yourself. And basically what it boils down to is like KYC, AML, is what it all can, distills down to. Um, know your customer, anti-money laundering, and um, but it's incredibly hard to disguise who you are on the internet nowadays. Um, I know there's some people listening that just roll their eyes. And they're probably like, "No, it's not." But for someone who doesn't care to do that, it's, it takes some research. No, that's like the default. And the then, default experience of the internet is not driven around privacy. Yeah. anonymity right so. just by conducting yourself in the average way or like the default way with browsers and um typical ways in which you access this stuff and the typical things you access you give away a tremendous amount of information about yourself and where you are mm -hmm. and i you know i can only imagine that at some point, there will be like a breaking point where more and more people will use like the dark web or they'll try and go dark or whatever, this and that, which is basically going to force like law enforcement to do good old fashioned law enforcement work, like get in the communities and ask questions and be be a narc, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. They already do that. I mean, that's like. But I seem like the cost is going to go up and up and up. Like yeah. for me as a taxpayer. The cost associated with having people to go in and do that stuff is going to grow. And so me, now I'm asking like, man, my taxes are already a motherfucker. Do I want to pay even more or have more of it budgeted towards going to find baddies on the dark web? Like, I think you're going to come to a point where, well, I don't know, to be honest. It can really. Because we got to have that, right? Like you can't just have communities of thieves and whatever else on the Internet operating a total what's well, a double-edged sword no fear it's a double-edged sword know? right like you also mm -hmm. need places where people can go to do things like whistleblow and and tell the world about um things that are happening to them that would normally be inhumane and if they were to yeah, say it out loud need... where they are they'd be oppressed killed whatever right uh, like you need a place for those people to go too so if you grant uh, the asylum of people to do that, the, at the same time, by doing the exact like by just by doing that, you're also granting access to people to do bad things. And that's that's this, that's kind of mm -hmm. like this dichotomy of of anonymity. Is if you're trying, it's just like the atom bomb, right? I use that typically as my my analogy is like. Nuclear power, if used correctly, can be a wonderful energy generating thing. Mm -hmm. Or it can blow the shit out of humanity. 
And it's the context of which one of those is, is the human that uses it. But the thing itself is agnostic to good or bad. It's just something that exists. So like if we build an internet that allows for these things, it's just something that exists. And the humans that use it are going to dictate how it gets used. Yeah. Cybercop. And but the problem here, like what you what you pointed to, is that as we keep building things that don't require KYC or are more defaulted towards anonymity and privacy, it really does make the job of the um those that are who 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 we task to go find bad guys very very difficult right and so like at yeah, some but point it's a necessary difficult level though yeah but at some point it's going to be impossible like they're just going to not be able to find certain information because of the way the systems are created and they're going to have to come up with alternative means to find actionable information and if we do it so well, then the street, actionable babe. information may get real, real fuzzy. They're going to have to keep their ear to the street, baby. Good old-fashioned work. Shaft. They're going to do that good old-fashioned police work. They do that. That's what I'm saying. Is it, gets co- is it gets costly at some point because I think, in my mind, KYC AML should be something that is, you know, I think what's, what's our good friend, um, not Yazi. Yaya, Yaya would be rolling. Yaya would be so frustrated, but I think like at some at a certain point, KYC AML is just to body block other entities out of doing what the big quote unquote trusted entities are doing with Come community. On. No, it's not. It's people. It's people operating within the jurisdictions that they have businesses. They're co- like K- mm-hmm. KYC AML is just people covering their ass so they can run a business. Now. Yeah. If you want to have an yeah. argument of whether or not it's needed, then talk to the governments that enforce those things, the regulations. Yeah, I get that. I get why it's used, but I'm saying like what it actually the actual byproduct of it is is that the only people that did to do naughty things are the only people we want to do naughty things. You're right. I think there's I think that the way in which it's implemented is built on technology that can be manipulated by those who who run it. And so they can, it's basically like, do as I say, not as I do from the people who demand yeah. these things, or at least they have the power to say like, oh, I'm not going to follow these rules. So I don't have to. I know how the system works. And I, and I have the power to bypass it if I want to. And that, like, that's, I think that's what ultimately, in my opinion, the people, the, the true crypto people who are building these things, um, not like charlatans who are just trying to make a bunch of money and get out are people trying to make systems where that can no longer happen just by the virtue of how the system is created. Yeah. There is there is no person in place that can sidestep the rules because of their position of power. I mean, it's just, but that, that goes like back to that story like earlier, I think it was last year where, and that's funny is if you ever talk to people that are like older, older, like in their seventies, close to eighties, they always say like government is just a legalized mafia because like, remember the story last year where there were like tons and tons of cocaine in that ship that JP Morgan owned. 
Yeah. What did somebody what did somebody sneak cocaine into the bank's ship that they own? Like, no, like these laws are created to protect. That's just that's just a bunch of people with a bunch of money who paid a bunch of people to ship a bunch of cocaine. Like, don't get me wrong, they have inroads, but that's not the government. I mean, fuck. I mean, I'd I'd say I, there's there's two things here. People automatically assume that they, they lump the government as this one big thing. Wait, so it's if not, I were to come to you and you run JP Morgan and I say, hey man, why were there like thousands of tons of cocaine in your boat? What's gonna be your answer to that? It's not mine. Okay, so it's an episode of Cops. <laughs> so, so it's, so and it's I just start, and I'd start running, and then I trip and fall when I, you know, jump a fence, and a dog bites me, and then I try to hide <laughs> under one of those plastic, plastic, uh, like yard yard pools with my my foot hanging out the side, and then pretend like I was sleeping when they when they pick it up. That's bad what happens. boys, bad boys. <laughs> what you gonna do? No, like cops is hilarious because they stick to that story. I saw one episode where a guy was like. These aren't my jeans. You got some cocaine in your pants. He's like, my jeans. Yeah, these aren't my jeans. I borrowed these jeans from my friend. Just right, <laughs> just, like, just a second on. ago. <laughs> I don't um, know, man. Like, that's a great I, answer, Corey. I've watched a lot of cops. That's what you. That's exactly what you do, actually. So. Um, but yeah, back to that story. Like, I don't know, man. I don't, I I am tired of people saying the government. I think it's 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 uh, once again uh, because my opinions are always this way. It's more subtle than that. It's more nuanced than that. It's people within the government working with in a in a broken system. The the vast 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 majority. And I think most people will agree with this. Most people who work for the government are good, honest, good hardworking people. people who are trying to do right for their country. Yeah, and get those motherfucking benefits so yeah, they can for, retire. For real. They're just, they're just trying and, to retire on, on, on healthcare systems that aren't going to work. Um, but like, <laughs> it's just a few people. It's like, once again, there's a few assholes that, you know, turn the whole soup into shit. Yep. There's always one person who wants to put a little bit of doo-doo in the soup. And that, that causes the problems for everybody. So, but anyways, I don't know why I was thinking about it. I get I get a lot of time to think on these plane flights. And I was like, man, if we keep pushing this privacy thing then we're gonna have to pay a lot of money for cyber cops because we already do people man. Are gonna, like that's that's it's an ongoing thing there's that's not yeah, it's, it's, and it's not gonna get better you're right that's gonna get more expensive especially yeah, if we want to do it in a way that is um uh more coherent so like mm-hmm. i'll give you two scenarios and you're gonna tell me which one's more expensive I listen to everything. I collect that information and I perform data analysis on it for the stuff that I want. Or I listen for just the stuff that I want. I'd say it's the first one. It's got to be a combination of both. Yeah. You I, I give you, like, I give you two, I give you two extremes. I mean, like I, I give you like, what is that called? A straw man or a false dichotomy? Whatever trope say people 40, like. 40, 40, 60, 40 first one, 60% last one. Because the last one, if you listen for just the stuff that you want, then the baddies will pick up on that and they'll start funneling themselves into areas to where you can watch those areas too. Well, if I do the first one, then yeah. I'm infringing on people's rights. 
Exactly. Well, so that's why you only do the I'm first one. I'm potentially infringing on people's rights. Okay, that's a good so question, actually. You... At the process of recording it, if no one ever looks at it, is it still infringing on people's rights? Depends on how much porn that they record. Like Straight to porn, huh? As, well, everything goes straight to porn, Corey. That's a universal law. <laughs> oh, to be a single um, man. <laughs> <laughs> everything goes back to porn. Um, which is getting quite advanced, by the way. But that's another subject for another time. Um I don't know, man. It Run out of time. I wanted to talk about make a uh, multi-collateral die, but I don't think we have enough time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might just Sorry, bring him on hash can. out. Want to just do that? Or you want to make the episode that long? Probably, that probably would be better. They, we did, a, we did a double header on hashing it out about single collateral die, which was what most people yeah. think about when they hear the terms MakerDAO and die or stablecoin yeah. or DeFi. Um, yeah, so first of that break stuff it is down. built on those. Yeah, securitized debt, which is collateralized debt. Um, that's what that's what we're talking about here. So, uh, die is just the type of thing that can be debt, um, but and it's collateral. So, like, think if you go to the bank and they're like, you're, you're like, yo, bank, I need some money, and the bank's like, that's cool, but I'm gonna need those, I'm gonna need that car as collateral or something. They're gonna have something that is going to securitize that loan. In the case that you don't fulfill default. your interest payments, Defaults yeah, if you default, they get that. And so with collateral, this is just my assumptions. With single collateral, you can collateralize some other sort of crypto to get the die that you want. With multi-collateral, you can bucket different cryptocurrencies in to get the die that you want. And that's just an assumption. That, that to me is a safe assumption. I probably Pretty need to good assumption. more into so- um, single collateral die, which is the basically the proof of concept system that they've been working on for the past five or six years. I don't know, a long time. Um, is um, okay. The whole entire system is complex. If you're interested in this, I definitely recommend you listen to um, the two episodes we did with MakerDAO on hashing it out. We go quite deep into the entire ecosystem and how it works for single collateral die. The gist of that. Or to summarize it, is a system is built on smart contracts, and the governance is all voting through the maker token. Um, it's kind of a two-part equilibrium in how this how this 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 stable coin called Dai, which is currently pegged to the U.S. dollar, maintains stability, and that's all done through some checks and balances between maker and the collateralized assets and Dai. Um, I have no idea what Dai stands for, by the way. Couldn't tell you. Doesn't matter. Um, but if you, as a person who would like to pull out what was previously known as a CDP, um, you would deposit Ethereum, Ether, into the smart contract. And that would basically lock it up at a specific rate. And at that, depending upon that rate, you mint new die. So you generate, you actually create new die at a specific rate at that time that rate is that rate changes depending upon what the governance votes on right they, they've changed that back and forth depending on um price of either and the use of the of the ecosystem what about that okay cool so um you have to over collateralize this right so like, by over collateralize i mean um you need to deposit 150 percent of what you get out so if i want a hundred die or a hundred dollars of die, 
then I need to deposit $150 of Ether. Yeah. You and call need to specify. Go ahead. I got, I got, I got more to go. You want to say something real quick? No, no, no. No, I was just thinking out loud. You keep going. All right, cool. So, um, cool. You deposit it. You deposit 150 Ether, $150 of Ether. You get $100 of DAI, which is 100 DAI because it's pegged to the US dollar. Now, that's an ERC20 token. You can take that and use it anywhere. Right? That's just now $100 that you have in the Ethereum ecosystem or DAI to do something with. And eventually, you need to pay that back. So you deposit 100 DAI. doesn't matter where you get it from. It doesn't need to be the same 100 DAI because it's a fungible asset. And you get your Ether back. So it's a way to take a loan out against money you already have you know, without losing ownership of the money you have. You're just locking it up so it can't be used. So it's called single collateral die because the only way you could do this previously was with Ether. Multi-collateral die, as you might guess, means you can do it with a bucket of assets. Starting, I think, day one, you'll be able to do it with Ether and BAT, Brave's atten Brave Attention Token. Ooh, I love that. So that's the first one that they've basically um, given the yes to. There's a bunch of things that, that should, once this starts and the new contracts are out and working, um, which I think is like next week or something, um, they'll start um, approving various various tokens. Dude. Status is one of them. Uh, Dude, I think Brave is going to eventually start to work pretty well, man. It might. I mean, who knows? They're doing a pretty good job well, so far. But let's have you seen going. some of the user reviews? Oh, yeah. Keep going. Keep Let me going. keep going. Um, so, okay, cool. So now you can do this. And so at each with each asset having its own rate, meaning that you'll need to have different like over over collateralization rates. You may need like you may need, depending on the volatility of that asset. Um, say like we'll just call it like asset shitcoin gets approved for multi collateral die. And it's really, really volatile, meaning the price goes up and down wildly for no apparent reason, right? If that gets approved, it'll be approved under the, um, probably under an assumption that you need to really, really, really over collateralize it. Like you'll need to put like 3x, 4x, 5x the amount of that token in order to get the die out, right? So that way, like you're, you're saving yourself. Yeah. And so what happens if like you default? So if, if like price swings change and you now are underwater, meaning that the die you have out in circulation is worth more than what you had originally deposited for the collateralization, anyone can call that option and default your loan. In fact, people have bots that actively check for CDPs, um, that have been defaulted to like to, to to call the default on them and earn money on them. Hmm. It's kind of cool, um, and so uh, yeah. So a few things have changed in this because this is, in my opinion, this is the basis of DeFi, which is what you decentralized finance. Um, all of this, like this, is the largest. If you were to look at like a universe of bubbles, I think that's that website we have. Like of like, and this is like the the broad landscape of decentralized finance MakerDAO and DAI is a giant bubble right in the middle there are other things this is the main thing that everything builds off of um, 
And so because of that, it's like there's a few things that changes that you're going to start hearing. CDP, the thing that you like, like those smart contract you interact with where you deposit Ether or whatever it is and get dieback is now called a vault. They're changing the, the naming there for some dumb reason. I think it's stupid, but they're going to be called vaults. And it's going to get real confusing when you're using this on Coinbase because Coinbase and Coinbase Pro will offer these services to you when you have multiple types of vaults. So that was ill thought of. Don't know about that one. Um, single collateral die. So if you have die that's currently in circulation, that was all done through the old smart contracting system through single collateral die. Um, they're changing that name of the token to SAI, S-A-I, for a single something, doesn't matter, um, which you can deposit into the new system for a one-to-one -one swap with the new DAI. So the, word, the term DAI now, when the system goes live, only refers to the tokens that are minted from the multi-collateral DAI system. Think mm -hmm. about this, right? They have, they have a smart contract system that worked with Ether with different rules mm -hmm. um, that generated a shitload of tokens, right? And uh, the way it works on Ethereum, tokens are confined to the smart contract where they're generated. Basically, a smart a, a token on Ethereum is just a smart contract with a ledger inside of it that keeps track of all this shit. You send transactions to change the ledger. Um, so you need a way to port over all of those tokens to the new smart contracting system. And so that's mm. what they're, they're going to have basically a one-to-one -one exchange where you, you basically burn Psi, the single collateral die that was generated a while back for new multi-collateral die. And there's a bunch of other cool shit that they're going to be introducing. You, know, you, can, you can do like, you can just make money by holding die. If you just have it, you'll make, a, you'll make, you'll make interest on it just by owning it. And holding it in a wallet. Hmm. Set that stuff up. And so like there's a bunch of new features that are a part of multi-collateral die that they've introduced as well. Go to their blog post. We're not paid by them. I just want people to understand that like this is the, in my opinion, yeah. the mecca or the set the center of what what is pushing the concept of decentralized finance. Um Yeah, so the way to go is to own die. I mean, I not to say what I do, but die has been something that I've been buying. So not to say what I do, but to say why are you buying theory. it? Like up until now, you couldn't earn case. interest. Well, I'm, well, I'm buying it not to earn interest, but I was buying it just in case I needed to to use it for something because they're doing yeah, it's really useful. cool things. It's, it's certainly it. like that's what that's what I think people aren't getting in the ecosystem. It's yeah, as a business or someone who's less risk or more risk averse, holding a stable asset. For a sp specific part of your portfolio, that's not tied to any yeah. banking system whatsoever or government. Yeah. It's a valuable thing. I essentially wanted to mirror my meat space portfolio is to always have a cash position. Well, the cash position in the crypto world is die in my eyes. Now, I know a lot of people would argue with that and then say, well, there's Bitcoin cash if you want to do that. No, nope, my name is Roger Fair. That's not cash. That's Bitcoin Cash is just Roger. It's Vares. another speculative asset. Maybe, like, Dried up nut juice. You have okay. Let me ask you this question, and this is this is going to be telling. Anyone should ask this question if they're worried about whether or not it should, it should be called cash. What's it going to be worth in five years? The dollar. 
DAI will be. What's Bitcoin Cash going to be yeah. worth in five years? It could be worth millions. Or nothing. Or there's no, you don't fucking know. And so like, yeah. it's not, it's not stable. It's a speculative vehicle. That's it. Yeah. I don't think there's anything more to that. Right. And so that's what's, yeah. that's what's kind of beautiful about this maker system is that they've built a stable asset off of a speculative vehicle. Like the maker, the, the maker MKR, what, what the governance side of this whole platform uses to do, to, to vote and, and pay fees. And there's the whole, there's a whole ecosystem there that that's a bunch of check, decentralized checks and balances on making sure the stability of each of the collateralized assets stays that way. Mm -hmm. Right. They've, it's, it's, it's quite ingenious how they maintain the peg and keep things oh, stable yeah. it's, in a volatile it's market. Convenient. It's, and it's all based on the volatility of Ether too. There's a testament is, to that, is, right? Like it yeah, started before Ether shot up to, I think it was 1500? 1200. I think it got to 1500. Either way, mid, mm-hmm. mid, mid 1000. Um, it shot up to that. Stable, right? Mm-hmm. The ecosystem had already been producing a bunch of DAI. People are making making CDPs and collateralizing a bunch of Ether and then using that DAI to buy Ether to do it again. So they like multiple X leveraged themselves on the original original Ether that they, they, they purchased. You get that? Mm-hmm. People had Ether, gener- like, collateralized it, generated DAI, bought Ether with that DAI, opened up another one with that. <laughs> did it over and over so and they basically over like over leveraged yeah. themselves in a lot of ways people a lot of people did this um they of course got defaulted at some point when like price dropped down to uh did it ever get below 100 i'm not sure no it got below 200 though definitely got below 200 it's below 200 now i think i know that's why for that safety <laughs> uh <laughs> and the ecosystem uh, the the decentralized finance ecosystem has done nothing but grow and the peg has remained stable. That's a that's a tremendous testament to the stability of that system. That's an order yep. of magnitude difference in, ter- in terms of price of the, on the underlying collateralized asset. Yeah, this shit's going to get interesting, man. It's just about to get really interesting. Um, yeah. Anyways, I don't want to think out loud on that's all that. That's quite long. That's a quite long episode. I want to wrap it up. Get somebody. Get somebody from the diet, the Dow team on your on hashing out again. Yeah, I'll probably and bring them I was on to say talk about was... multi collateral die because it's it's. I want to talk about the differences. You and you and Colin need to sell, not sell, but give out pins. If somebody's been on hashing it out, they get a pin because you don't. Not anyone just gets on that show. Should we do like and a? So, get you like an NFT. And we yeah, can generate some NFTs and then um, find a way to like put it inside of a pin, like a physical pin. A physical yeah, I mean, pin? I think it's, I don't know. I think it's worth it because be not anybody can just get on that show. You got to know, know your shit. And so we gotta, I could do that. I mean, we've had what, probably close to 70 guests. Yeah. I don't even think like, like somebody like Peter McCormick couldn't get on that show. I wouldn't want to talk to like, him. Somebody like uh, what's his name? Uh, the other guy who thinks that Bitcoin is going to bring back Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, Pop, like he couldn't get on that show. I would never, I wouldn't have, I mean, maybe we can hash out what it's like to shill without ever knowing anything. <laughs> just like vapid, just vapid, general bullish statements. You're basically a cheerleader. Oh, yes. This but you know, you're wrong. wrong. Like he, he plays to an yeah. audience and he does a lot for uh, general sentiment to people wanting to feel like things are going the right direction. But you know that's what? A nice way of saying day, he's a cheerleader. I appreciate him because he general he's a huge magnet of people that wouldn't be in crypto any other way except for hearing him or seeing him good? on CNBC. Is that good? Because what well, if does what if it, this doesn't work? What like he's, he's he's pumping Bitcoin the entire time. What if Bitcoin fails? It's not going to. You don't know that. I've said that time and time. You don't know it's too that. Too big to fail now. I don't. No, I know that. I know that. It's too big to fail. You can't know that. I like that you have that sentiment, and it's a great way to put yourself to sleep at night. None of these, not a single one of these things that's currently working in existence is guaranteed is too big to fail. So if you compare any all of the, the entire market to the open financial system or like the traditional financial system, we're a drop in the bucket. For nothing. Yeah, well, one, we don't know what the entire size of the market now is because over-the-counter trading has skyrocketed since the last moon. So we don't know what actual activity is going on with yeah, Bitcoin. We, we, what we, we do had an know. OTC, we had an OTC guy. Um, I had one on the hook and for some reason or other, which makes me feel strange about their denial to come on. He said no after like initial excitement. It's like, yeah, that sounds great. And then like after I was like, yeah, we're going to have to decline. Sorry. Yeah. So that we, I know that's growing at a fucking high pace because it, there, none of this other stuff makes sense. We now have physically backed futures, which means that in, in its license, it's like it's a Wall Street. We wanted Wall Street in. We've been saying that for a decade. They're way in. Yeah. Like, oh, they're, yeah. They're, well, there are, they're not way deep. In. In. They're not way in. We've crossed the threshold of legitimacy where they're like dipping their toes. And by them dipping yeah. their toes, it's a tremendous amount of money in this ecosystem. Yeah, because there's the so much keep, money. There's so much fucking money in the traditional financial yeah, system. Especially derivatives that are like pissed off of nothing. Bets on bets on bets. And yeah. that's a good name for a rap album. Uh, bets on bets on bets. But that's why I say it's too big to fail. I mean, like, I so. it, especially if the backed futures market c- continues, if its volume grows and grows and grows and grows, then they're going to freaking say, oh, yeah, ETFs, they're solid because the volume is there to substantiate an exchange traded fund. This is the way I, that happens, this is the way I currently over. view things. This is the way I view things right now. Um, we, are, we are a bunch of kids. Um, we're smart kids, a bunch of really smart kids um, building some sandcastles in the sand and most of the time when adults are walking by and see kids building sandcastles like look at that stupid little sandcastle that kid built whatever and i walk by but we're such we're such smart kids that we built something awesome it's actually really cool and when adults walk by like oh shit look what these kids built that looks pretty cool and then one guy comes in and and then tries to like touch it and just steps on it and breaks everything and he's like oh shit that was cool but i accidentally broke it when i tried to like participate or i'm an asshole like 
That's mm-hmm. that's what I see the current status of all of blockchain right now is we're a bunch of kids building awesome sandcastles that have potential to become something much, much larger. But the people, the big boys with the real money may break it. We need to make sure that the way, the way we build stuff is it's, it's in such a way that it's unbreakable, but all kids want to be, uh, want to play with adults. Yeah, I see that. That's a great analogy. And that's what I worry about. It's all it takes is it's all it takes is one adult to say like, "Hey, man, you did that pretty good out of sand. How about you do it out of real stuff?" And so, like, it's it's, it's that's why I say it's like it's too big to fail at this point. It's just one. Goldman Sachs is like the fucking puppeteer of Coinbase. Like, it's not a mystery. They were the angel investor. They've invested in every round. And we all know who Goldman Sachs is. They're too big to fail, literally. Like, they were one of the ones that was too big to fail. So it's like, it, it's ugly. I don't like that I'm saying these things. I just know that, like, it's the reality. Well, that's why I like, and, that's why I'm like, that's why I get excited when I talk about Maker. Is like the the way in which that stable coin is created is actually decentralized finance. Yeah, and that's why I got that's why I started buying Dai. I think sometime last last year. Uh, I know that's terrible opsec, Ray, but nobody cares about me except for Not some random business on LinkedIn. I care about you. So, except for some. Thanks, man. That makes me feel great. <laughs> but some random business on LinkedIn used a picture of me as their recruiting ad, Mm-mm. which was great. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, I guess because you signed away your rights to use your pictures on LinkedIn, I think. I don't think that I you did. Do. It's that, in the license so. agreement. I believe that like the terms of terms and conditions, um, anything you put on their platform is subject to use by um, I never put that it's on like, their platform. You, is there a picture? Where'd they get your picture? So this picture was taken as a marketing thing they were doing for a speech that I was going to give in Canada. I never signed anything for oh, my pictures. Yeah, to I don't be know about that. I don't know the rules around that. For whatever. Do you ever and told so, someone that like, people cannot use your likeness and marketing material? Yeah. So like two days ago, I'm on LinkedIn just scrolling through my feed, wasting time. And I like see me with, an, with a recruiting ad. And I was uh, like, wait, what? Famous. <laughs> famous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, I, I just have die now that I keep a position and die just just because it's kind of like I, I leave it to the Xbox Halo. I didn't want an Xbox until I saw Halo, and I knew if I wanted to play Halo, I had to get an Xbox. Right well, I know DeFi you. is getting I know DeFi is getting cooler and cooler and cooler, and if I want to experience some of that, I gotta have die. So then I started buying die, and I just got a little bit. So if any of this stuff ever sees fruition. All this cool stuff, which is starting to what now I have an Xbox. I can you know play Halo. You know what's kind of cool to. about this as well is like um purchasing die isn't isn't investment, right? Um no. it's and you're not like say the initial person that minted that die, their loan gets defaulted. You don't lose your die. Nope. Because it's a fungible asset. And so that's a really interesting thing is that the people who are minting it have no effect on the people who are using the things that are being minted. So you have this like pool, this massive community of investors trying to make money through like 
personal greedy, like self-optimization or making bets or gam- and like maybe gambling, maybe investing. I don't know what you want to call it, but generating an asset that's stable that can be used in um, an open financial system that mm-hmm. has no connection to it in terms of like its stability. That's a, that's a really cool thing that I don't know. I'm not a banker. I don't know all the cool shit that people use, but from, from what I understand, nothing like that exists. Mm. And so this is, this is us building cool. This is us us building cool shit, right? Like we started talking about Bitcoin when we started this up with this podcast, because that was cool shit. And this is the, the, this is the, this is the type of stuff that we talked about. We were wondering the type of things smart contracts can do in terms of building something more potentially more con- like you need a more complicated smart contracting system to build something like this. This yeah. is the reason smart contracts are useful. Just imagine the horde of people like after five years of multi-collateral die and, and then you report to your someone that you're like, oh yeah, I got 8%. I get about eight, eight and a half percent interest just because, um, just because of math. There's a couple like proof of concepts that we have within status of um, streaming paychecks. Yeah, you talked about that. That's tougher than you think. That can, I'd love to no, see it on the talk to you guys. Not, it's you tougher. can already do it. It's like, no, 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 no. I, oh, not, I don't regulation. mean tough in the sense of doing it. I mean, tough in terms of regulation, tough in yeah. terms of how humans behave. Yeah, that's a rough one. Like, but like the way that the way that the system works currently, um, we don't have this in production and we could put it into it, but it's, that's been audited in any way. Um, but like you sign a contract for, like imagine this, this is your life, right? You sign a contract for a specific salary a year. Uh, we'll call it, I'm not going to even try to do math right now in my head. Um, so I'm just going to describe the details of it. Oh, and then flat number, hundred thousand. That I still, don't, I'm not going to do three sixty five days, whatever. But you, what you would okay. do is you basically say, um, okay, how much is that over the year? Let's break that into seconds, and you stream that paycheck to that person throughout the year. Okay, and it sits. Million. So I'm streaming that money into a specific okay. account that is that is a savings account basically so as that money goes into that account it's also earning interest right just by mere fact of it existing in that account it's also earning some interest by provide by providing service to some other um Mm. decentralized financial market now as a person who's an employee who's supposed to receive that money i now have options in terms of how i would like to use that money and when mm. I would like to use it and a potential investment in terms of if I don't need to use it, I can let it sit and gain more interest by it, by accruing more money. And at any time I can just take whatever I want out, use it and, and continue that stream to grow. Mm. That's a, a, that's a, a neat way of getting paid. That allows that gives me a lot more control over how I'd like to use my money. Yeah, it uh, man, that's some sexy shit. I think, it, yeah, 
it, it'd be tough. I'd like to. I I would like to sit in and like just be the. Uh, I guess you'd call me the uh, devil's advocate on why streaming payments would be tough for a business to pull off. Regulation. I don't know how you would tax no. that. It's not so much regulation as it is like human behavior. No, we That's may all. we may end up doing that at some point. A, but then, of course, you can always say this is just an option. You don't have to do this. All right, but let's wrap it up. This episode's gotten long. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, send to your parents, send to your auntie, send to your cousins. Let them know that uh, this isn't just a show uh, about the price of Bitcoin. We like to talk about all of the crypto ecosystem, if you will. Um, so some of you new guys are asking yourselves, why is it called the Bitcoin podcast? Then, well, many, many, many moons ago, uh, Bitcoins, the, the, the capital B Bitcoin stood for the actual programming language and the technology and lowercase B stood for the currency. And we keep our capital B because we don't like to forget where we came from. So that's why this is called the Bitcoin podcast. Um, but as you have just heard, we talk about a little bit of everything. Uh, including your seed phrase. <laughs> so if you, if you, uh, huh? Did we keep it real? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, please go to the Bitcoin podcast.com and join our Slack. Also look out for the link in the Slack to the discuss uh, we are keeping running threads of conversation around episodes on a separate website. Um, but we did notice that people do like to talk about the things that we discuss. Uh, but in Slack, we're kind of losing that memory because we're not trying to pay our firstborn child to have pro Slack because Slack is really proud of their service. And uh, we're not paying for that shit ever, Slack. So just want to let you know. Womp, womp. Um, yeah. Um, what else is what else do we do? Um, those are pretty much the main things we're sticking Join to. Join the Slack, talk uh, about it in the right discuss post, and and tweet us. Absolutely. Join Patreon um, if you want this early. Yeah. Um, if you are listening to this and you're a business and you want to to sponsor us, hit us up. Join the Slack and hit us up. Um, about to start. We're, we're rolling out sponsorships again. Uh, we haven't done them in a long time just because of a litany of reasons, but we figure now is not now is as good a time as any right at the uh, lowest part of the bear market. I think we're going to get to knock on wood. And um, yeah, so hit us up if you're interested in that. Uh, other than that, uh, shout out to Zazi Beats. Uh, play the outro.